Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 114. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. Each episode of Life of the School, I like to sit down with uh, my now panel of biology teachers and talk about how things are going in our classrooms and in our schools. Uh, this episode, we're going to introduce ourselves through our goofy question. If you could live somewhere else in the world for a year, where would it be? And we're going to start with the person this is not so much a hypothetical for, but coming from Arizona is Tanea Hibbler. Welcome, Tanea. Where are, your where are you choosing to live for a year? Hi. Well, that's a great question. I am choosing to live in, well, I'm going to move to Shenzhen, China, which is just um, across the water from Hong Kong. And I'm excited about that. But I was, as I was interviewing, I was also thinking about living in Spain and Vietnam and also uh, Rwanda. So like I was totally open to going kind of <laughs> anywhere. I, I think I'm nomadic or whatever. I just, I, I want this adventure and, you know. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, when, when you first uh, told me and, you know, we've known this for a, a few weeks now that, that this was in the works, um, I thought deeply back to the original life of the school when I sat down with you. And I remember having this awkward moment where I was like, why did you come back to the U.S.? You were like so happy <laughs> teaching overseas. So uh, I, for one, I'm not surprised, but I'm happy for you. Uh, this is not a, a hypothetical for you. So it's, a, it's exciting news. Yeah. All right. Well, joining us next from Texas is Lee Ferguson. How about you, Lee? Where Where would you live for a year? So I'm not quite so global <laughs> as to now, although someday I would like to be. Um, but I think, honestly, I would love, love, love to live in New York City for a year, um, as long as I could avoid the winter, honestly. <laughs> Um, I'd say the same thing about Chicago, too. If I could avoid the winter and Boston, if I could avoid the winter, I would love to live in any of those places for a year. But there's just something about New York City that like when I go there, there's like, I don't know, there's so much about that city that I love. And I can't explain why I love it. Um, but I just love to be able to go there and and just just drink in every experience possible that you could pack into a year there because it's just it's such a neat place to visit like I took my husband there for the first time uh, almost two years ago and he's like when are we going back I'm like whenever this pandemic ends <laughs> <laughs> you know it's one of the first places we're planning on going so yeah it's funny because I, I enjoy New York City, but as somebody who is raised as a Boston sports fan, I also hate <laughs> New York City. Uh, <laughs> so, but I really just hate the uniforms. Uh, but yeah, New York's a cool city. Uh, and my wife grew up outside of, she grew up in North Jersey to the point where if you just go a couple miles from her house, you can see the New York City skyline. In fact, less than a mile from her house, you can see the New York City skyline. I know I've seen it on on morning runs when I've run from her parents' house. Um so she grew up outside of that city and uh, I, I, it's the, it's probably the second city I've gone, I go to the most outside of Boston um, in that. So. Well, and uh, like flying in, when you fly in from Dallas to the city, you just see everything on the water and it's just like, oh, I love this place. <laughs> I mean, that's New literally the feeling I get when I fly there. <laughs> it's like, I New love York this. City, it was so intimidating to me. Like I, I remember out of flight attendant training, they said you're going to either go to Chicago, New York City, or Boston. And I was like, they're trying to kill me. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't survive in New York. And then they sent me to Boston, and I found this place to live in Winthrop. And it was just like, ah, I felt like, oh, it's this is small enough town that I could deal with it, you know? Um, but New York, I, every time I flew there, I was so intimidated, and it was so scary to me. I don't, I don't know why. I taught in Winthrop, so um. <laughs> cool. those are talking about small worlds. <laughs> All right, how about you, Ryan? Uh, what, what, what would what would you uh, your ideal living place be? You know, I think I thought way too hard about this because I was thinking about government and I was thinking about cost of living and I was thinking. I mean, I just <laughs> I, I put way too much thought into this, <laughs> but because um, I was thinking about the Philippines, where my family is from, um, but not the greatest government. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I concluded that I would love to live for a year in Monterey, California. The climate is excellent. It's 
got that small town feel that I am used to. Um, and it is, it, you know, it, it, just a different part of the country that I would love to experience. All right. Very interesting. It's a very specific location, Monterey, California. Um, yeah, I, I like California. I like, uh, so where is Monterey along the, it's, it's Southern, right? It, it's in between San Francisco and um, LA. So it's more NorCal okay. than anything. Okay. Beautiful aquarium there too, right? Yes. Oh yeah, that's right. Monterey and they Bay have aquarium. a beautiful international school there too. <laughs> all right well i think i leaned a little bit more more like lee i i because one of the last big family vacations my family did which was about three years ago is we went and did a week where we split the week between paris and madrid um we had had some friends uh of ours who were in on sabbatical in madrid and so my wife was like, oh, let's go over and visit our friends that who were over there and stay for a few days and see the city. And I was like, I am not flying to Europe unless I can go to Paris. Um, so we flew in and did three days in Paris and then four days in Madrid. And um, so I think Paris would probably be like my top choice. Um, the language is an issue. Um, not that you can't don't like everybody in Paris proper speaks English. So um, but and my French is bad but i can get by but if i guess i think if i'm going with my family maybe i would go to london um because the language issue wouldn't be a big deal but i am definitely uh northern european cities <laughs> <laughs> that would be my hesitancy in going like one of the other places i was going to say was spain is my mm. hesitancy to move to, to go to spain is my spanish is passable but it's not great i yeah. mean because even though I am Latina, I wasn't raised speaking Spanish. And so, you know, both my parents are fully bilingual. My mother was, my dad is, but they didn't teach us to yeah. speak Spanish. And so I had to learn in school. So I sound like a Spanish textbook instead of an actual <laughs> native speaker. And it's embarrassing. <laughs> but I mean, if I had to get by with the Spanish that I speak, I could probably do it. Um, but it's just, it's awkward. It's yeah. super awkward. Well, my, my French is bad. My Spanish is worse. And my, and my Spanish apparently has a French accent because when I try to say words in Spanish in Madrid, I would get French return uh, or English. Um, but I got, I got, uh, I got French back to me a couple of times when I was in Madrid because I speak apparently every language that's not English with a French accent. I don't know how I do that because I'm not a native French speaker, but I, I have gotten that on more than one occasion. So <laughs> Um, I actually had somebody who was telling me Russian words and I sent them back and they said, that's weird. Your Russian has a French accent. I was like, I don't know how I'm doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, course recommendations and a little bit peripherally as well, uh, the concept of tracking, um, because, you know, we started to talk about this and we, we're just going to touch upon this. And I have a feeling that we're going to probably revisit this concept a little bit later in the year, um, especially if we talk a little bit more about some equity pieces um, as we get into the spring. But um, I wanted to talk about the idea of how we go about doing course recommendations. Because I don't know about you folks, but we're in course recommendation season right now for me. Like I'm supposed to start looking at how my students have been doing over the last so many months in this pandemic and then help them decide what classes are they're going to take. When do you, when do your schools do this? Are you guys um, similar time frame? Are you guys, anybody else doing it now? Yes. It, yeah. It's not because that teachers recommend. It's more that students get to pick. Oh. And course selection started in December. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Really? Because well, we have so many, yeah. right? We have so many kids and so many places that we can put them. And so they start looking at, at, you know, numbers and stuff for staffing purposes pretty early on wow. in high school. And so it's, it's more driven by the student than it is by teacher. You know, like we don't have teacher recommendations for, for science classes or anything like that. Um, we have certain vocational classes that require uh, teacher recommendations, but not science classes. Yeah. And so today it sounds like you're, you're in that season right now for next year. For sure. I, j I went to school on my day off on Friday because I had to place all the students in their um in the grid properly <laughs> and make yeah, sure I, that you know i had put them in the right class yeah and how about you ryan when does when does it happen for your school we are unusual just because again we are small and we kind of fly by the seat of our pants so out of nowhere one week we'll get an email from the counselor to the students saying hey what do you want to take next year 
and I'll talk a little bit more about it later, but it's more of the kids marketing because I'm the only science teacher. So they uh-huh. are trying to convince me to teach classes. So if they want to take <laughs> zoology, they have to convince me that there are enough students who want to take it and that I should go through the hassle of learning how to teach it. So it's a little, it's a little <laughs> different. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And our, as I said, our, we just got our, our guidelines and really our, you know, when, when this episode comes out, which will be, you know, in early March, um, the, the portal for, for parents will start to open up, but I will have, you know, mid to late February, early March is when, when this process happens. So it's sort of front of mind for me. Um, and I, the one who writes the show notes. So, um, (laughs) I got to pick this, um, as a topic. Um, but, uh, but also as part of this, and I think Ryan, you sort of were, were alluding to this a little bit, but we'll come back to the various, to different people. But I, I also know that for me, one of the things that I notice is that, um, the a variety of levels that you have at your school is going to have an impact on how many classes kids could potentially take and how they're going to go. And this is why I said the tracking piece kind of comes in here. So I was going to ask how many different levels of science courses exist in your school, you know, and are, are students tracked and, and how firm is that tracking? So Lee, you already alluded to the fact that it's like, you know, we, we know you got what, 5,000 students at your school yeah. roughly. Um, so typically, how many different levels do you have and, and do, are students sort of in a track? Well, I was going to say, if, if there's any kind of track, really, it's based on what their graduation plan is. Mm-hmm. And so the state has issued, I think, three or four different graduation plans. And so how many science classes a kid takes is determined by that plan and what level of classes they take is partially determined by that plan. So, like, for example, if your kid is on the distinguished, um, you know, plan, then they have to take a certain number of APIB dual credit courses. And so, you know, hypothetically, a kid could take like all AP science classes, but take all on level English classes and, you know, all AP math classes and be considered distinguished. Right. And so we offer on level courses, which a lot of people call regular um, pre AP, which I think we're changing it to advanced or honors or something like that next year. I don't remember what we're calling it next year. Um, we have AP, we have IB, we have dual credit. We also have what are called foundations courses for our students that are um, special ed. Um, and so, and in some schools they're called remedial courses or remediation, you know, courses or whatever we just call them foundations. And so um, those are the, the pathways that we have, but again, we're a very large school. Mm. And so we have programs for pretty much every kid. Wow. Well, I mean, so a lot of different places that a kid could get slotted in there. And so how about the tracking component of that? If I am, if I'm taking like on level, you know, the, or the, the regular biology, could I take like AP chemistry the next year? Um, Is that a jump or could I only do that if it's something that fits into my plan? Totally possible. Um, Some of the courses do have prerequisites. So like, for example, um, we have open enrollment, right? So like if your kid wants to take an AP class, then they're welcome to try. Um, but there are certain prerequisites for certain courses. Like for example, for AP Chem, the kid has to have at least chemistry one. You know, they also have to have a certain math level. I forget. I think they have to have at least algebra two or something like that. Um, and so if there is any true tracking, it comes from the prerequisite courses that kids have to have, mm. um, you know, for AP bio at my school, kids have to have at least AP, they have to have at least taken biology one and be concurrently enrolled in chem one. Mm. Um, you know, so for some of these courses, there are some prerequisites, you know, so if there is any kind of tracking that happens, I guess it's going to happen at that level, right. Where you're, you know, does your kid meet the prereqs for the course? But a kid who's taken any biology level one biology yes. could take, they, they don't have take, to take, they don't have to take honors. They could take, they could take, they could go, they can make the jump for a on level to AP. And we tell kids it's possible, but it's, it's a challenge, right? Like there's going to be some, some places where you're going to have to just work a lot harder because you may not have had practice with these skills, you know, and we recognize that, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, 
course, this coming year, as we get ready to to take on, you know, our students, we've got, I forget how many we have enrolled in AP for next year. But we also recognize that because so many of these kids have been remote all year long, that there's going to be some gaps in their learning. And so it should be, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, and even if they, you know, regardless of which level of biology they're enrolled in, we're going to see some gaps. You yeah. know, we're definitely going to see some gaps. And so it really won't matter, you know, which level of biology they had prior to us. You know, we're, we're anticipating that there's going to be a challenge teaching this group coming up. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much, if there is any true tracking, it, it's going to come from the prereqs that are required. Like I said, we don't do teacher recommendations for um, entry into advanced level courses because we don't have that kind of gatekeeping. Yeah. Um, we encourage everybody who is willing and able to take our upper level courses, you know, our AP or IB courses. Um, and then of course, dual credit, you know, anybody can take dual credit because it's the, it's co- you know, it's co-enrollment with the community college, you know, so anybody can do that. Yeah. All right. Ryan, how about you? Uh, how, like, I'm sure you, your school of your size, you've got what, 12, 15 different levels, right? You yeah, the, exactly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you, you talk about teacher recommendations. I, I am the teacher. So really what it comes down to is my opinion of what the, what class the student should be in. Um, everyone takes the same class as a freshman. Everyone takes the same class as a sophomore. And in the state of Missouri, if you take three agriculture classes, it counts as a unit of science. So that is what most of my students do. They will take an ag class freshman, sophomore, junior year, and that will count as their third science that they need to graduate. So most of my students do not take anything after their soft, do not take a science after their sophomore year. Um, so what that leaves are the kids who actually want to take a science. So most of our, you know, third level and above, um, our, our honors classes, cause these are the kids who actually want to take science. Um, we, we, we do have some non-honors quote unquote students who take a third science just cause they're not ag kids. Um, but mostly it's mostly we have the, the honors kids take, taking third, th um, third year or fourth year sciences. And in terms of tracking, again, it because we're such a small community, it's, it's very much like a family, you know? So if mm -hmm. a kid tells me that they want to take chemistry after biology one, I'll, I'll tell the counselor whether I think that they should belong in chemistry or not. It, it really is my opinion that determines what, the with a class the kids go into wow <laughs> the prerequisites are, is your opinion exactly uh, <laughs> we you know we I, I again i came from a suburban school district where everything is regimented and everything is written down and whatnot but i i don't think we have a student handbook i don't think we have course <laughs> descriptions um uh, for, for the first three years i taught at this district i didn't even give a syllabus we we are like literally just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and so i i don't we we don't have prerequisites that we have to follow they just have to convince me that they're not going to flounder and fail in the class <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, so you don't know what you're teaching next year. Like you're, you... <laughs> so there, there's, there's some that are a given, like I, I know that I will teach AP bio next year, but yeah, if, if the kids decide that they want a different course, like this year, um, my kids wanted to take an AP level chem class. So instead of AP bio this year, I taught AP chem, um, that that was not a given at the end of the school year that it took the summer for them to convince me to offer it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Well, how about you, Tanea? How many different levels of science course do you have in your school? What, what, what is the, I know you're in a prep school, you know, very different setup, but what are your options for your students? Hold on one second. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. My, my husband has a question. Hold on. <laughs> Okay, so at my school, we have uh, what we call the regular classes. Mm -hmm. We have 
honors classes and we have um, AP classes. And then some of the courses also are going to be considered um, dual enrollment courses. They could either be an honors or a regular class that's also dual enrollment. I, I think we could also do that with AP, but I don't think it necessarily happens with any AP classes right now. But I, I really like, um, I like the way uh, <laughs> Lee's school does it, how it's, everything's open. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the process of me and two other people right now are on a committee to kind of evaluate how we're currently doing things and make a recommendation to the school. Um, and I'm trying to squeeze in a lot of time to, to do that. Um, I don't know what the recommendation is going to be, but I like the idea that, you know, we're trying to support the students in any way that, that they need support. And we're creating, a, we're creating a system in which um, all kids have the same opportunity. So your current system, you feel, is, is heavily tracked, firm tracked? Definitely, yeah, because when kids apply to our school, they apply, they, there's an, they have to have recommendations, they have an entrance exam, and then kids that test well on that <laughs> entrance exam, they're invited to a summer course um, that costs money. Um, they can either take like the AP, I mean, excuse me, what we call SHEP um, bio, so like a summer biology course, or they can take a summer, summer humanities course. But those kids are invited to that class. And then often those kids that are invited, um, they go on to take maybe the ones who do really well are going to go on and take honors um, environmental science or honors chemistry, or um, they're going to take an AP seminar class uh, their their freshman year. Um, maybe some of them will take AP bio. So they're, they're automatically on this track where like they're going to get a lot of honors in AP classes. And then the kids that don't um, take that class, who but they tested well, they're going to come in and take freshman honors biology. And then the other students um, are going to take probably regular biology. Hmm. And then they have to get a recommendation to move on to like an honors or AP. So kids are already being labeled when they come in. And I think a lot of kids think, well, that's how I've been labeled. So kids don't often move, make the choice to, or try or attempt necessarily to move from an honors to, I mean, to a regular to AP, mm-hmm. but like I'm looking at like the spreadsheet and I'm, and there's like some kids that took summer bio that are requesting to be in honors, but I'm looking at th- those kids and most of those kids are in my class, yeah. like in my class in the summer. So I'm like, Oh, well, I must be, <laughs> I don't know if I'm giving them A's and I shouldn't have been giving them A's or if I puffed up their, you know, their confidence levels, but like that, I think it should be more evenly spread amongst all the teachers. Like, right. All the, all of us Mm. who are teaching, we should see that kind of thing. Like there should be a certain percentage of kids who go, Oh, I think I want to take honors now. Um, But like I said, I don't really know. I haven't done a deep evaluation, no statistical analysis or anything. This is just off the top of my head what things that I've noticed within my department. I'm starting to to like just ask questions and um, survey other departments and kind of talk to students about what are the norms, what do they like, what they don't like. So I don't really know what the best way is, but I think um, there's more opportunity when the doors are wide open for students. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and so in my school, it's, you know, we have like a million levels, like, um, you know, we have uh, fundamentals uh, level. We also have some alternative programs as well for biology, um, but you'll have some fundamentals level courses. Um, we used to have what was called standard prep, um, which was sort of our our lowest regular level. And now that's called college prep one. Um, and then our old college prep is now college prep two. Um, or usually just referred to as college prep. Then we have our sort of our middle level, which is accelerated and enriched. And then we have honors. <laughs> so, and then AP at the moment is a second year course, but um, AP biology may actually become a first year biology course at some point in the future. Um, oh. and, and so, yeah, I mean, there's like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. And so at one point, like I counted it, we had seven different levels of biology. Um, <laughs> like, and, and that, so, 
It's, that seems crazy. Yeah. So, so in some ways, like, so I'll, I'll give you the devil's advocate on both sides of this. We're giant school and we have a lot of different kids who have a lot of different needs. And so what we did is we provided like for the kids who were in like the alternative program, those are kids who like really struggled with the traditional school day. They needed a very non-traditional way of, of taking academics. They were in a sort of an isolated program, but they still needed to graduate and they had to take our state exam. So we had this outside course. We had students who would probably need based off of their academics before they got to high school, they were going to possibly need a two year looping course that would cover all the material on biology, not in one year, but on two years, they would get more opportunities to take the state exam that way. And they would loop and they'd have a chance to take it at the end of the first year. And if they passed, then they could go on and take other classes. But if not, they could then take a separate fundamentals course like fundamentals two, and then would have two shots to pass that next year. So that was the fundamentals level. The college prep one were kids who originally were, are, are kids who may not be destined to go to college. They may be trades, but we don't want it to be shut off from them as an opportunity. College prep were students who might have strengths elsewhere, but do intend to go to college, but they haven't done well in science. The AE ones may have some uh, reasons why they're going to have a hard time getting into honors chemistry or physics due to their math levels. And then we have the honors level who are kids who would maybe go on to take AP. So there was like rationale behind how they all worked out. And we were so big that it sort of worked out that way. But the other time it's on the other side of the end, it's like, they're just kids. Like, why do we need seven buckets for kids? <laughs> you know? So, and, and the other thing is, is that um, while we're not nearly as hard tracked as we used to be, the reality is, is that there are still uh, adults in the building and kids in the building and families in the community who talk about students as being defined. They define their identity based off of the level of courses they take. Um, and is there, and like who ends up like typically like who ends up not being in those college track classes, right? Yeah. So the college track is a hard thing to say because pretty much all of our students are college track students, right? Like like ninety five percent of our students go on to college. Mm -hmm. So so kids who are in college prep and college prep one, which are our lower two levels of regular like sort of sort of regular population kids who are not out in a special program, those bottom, those, those, those lower two levels, kids in that class, those classes will end up going to college. Um, but in terms of where do kids end up and is there a racial bias or an economic bias or racial and economic bias, there definitely is a, there definitely are different cohorts where you there is a little bit of a bias in the community. It's hard to parse out because like economics is is a challenging thing to visibly track. Um, and we're just also not a uh, racially diverse school in the way people think about racial diversity. We have a very uh, small black population. We have a black population. You will find black students in all levels. Um, you will find, uh, you know, Spanish speaking students in all levels. Students who are English language learners tend to track in the lower levels in the, the college prep one in the fundamentals. And so from a language bias standpoint, there's definitely a English language learner bias away from honors and AP. Um, and you will have students who come from other countries who are very, very economically well off who will refuse ELL services and will have their students privately tutored in English outside of school so they can take honors and AP courses because the community perceives honors and AP science and math courses to be a priority and they don't want the English language services from the school. So they just do it outside. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about because our school has some very economically privileged people who sort of defy some of the traditional rules the way we talk about those things. I don't know if that makes so sense. So the, the naming of the classes, like when you say it, college prep one and college prep two, yeah, like does that do the kids who are applying to college, do the schools that they apply to? Because I, like, I wouldn't think of that as like a reg, like I would never think of that as like a class where there has to be some kind of remediation or thing. If yeah. I hear the name college prep, does that, 
impact? Like, do they, does your school have to send explanations to the colleges about what the courses are? Yeah. So the actually interesting group that has the hard time with colleges is our accelerated enriched group, our middle group. In fact, our state colleges do not recognize. So we had this problem where like the, the UMasses and that sort of thing were not recognizing our standard prep level or our accelerated enriched level. So standard prep students were being viewed as not taking a college preparatory course, even though those kids were going on and taking the state exam and passing the state exam and meeting all of the requirements, which is why that got that naming got changed. And then the state um, schools, and this varies school to school and how this is, but the largest cohort for us is UMass. UMass just lumps all of the students who are in the accelerated enriched uh, level. They just call those college prep students. So in other words, when the kids went to apply to UMass, even though we have all of these different levels, in theory, what I just laid out is sort of four different cohorts. UMass just viewed them as two cohorts, honors and sort of everybody else. Um, like that's kind of how they they just sort of group them. So it actually has created a problem with us whether or not we are going to maintain the accelerated enriched or whether or not we should have an honors and an honors two or again talking about moving AP to being that first year level, of course, are we just going to have a college prep one, college prep two, honors, and AP? Is that what's going to end up happening in those levels? Um, the labeling from what it goes on outside the school, it's confusing to people who are outside of our school. So, Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Because like, uh, do they, like, at my school, the honors and AP kids get, they earn like a bump, a bump in their GPA. So like yep. all these kids have like a four point three, four point whatever two, you know, yeah. whatever four point five GPA. Um, yeah, from what I understand, um, the state school recalcul would recalculate their weighted GPAs based off their transcripts. Um, okay. So it so our school would say this is their weighted GPA, and what was happening is the state school was like, yeah, we're gonna reweight those. So. Um, yeah, it, it became it was a really contentious issue thing four or five years ago, and I don't know how it got resolved and whether now they view them as having as being three different levels or what they like. I don't know, and I'm not deeply involved in that. But um, yeah, the labeling system has become has been a very contentious issue, and also what ends up happening, as you can imagine, um, people shorthand it. So then they start, they go from saying, they don't say, nobody says in my building accelerated and enriched, like everybody just calls it AE, like AE is right. shorthand in our school and everybody calls it honors and AE um, and CP or CP and CP1. Like that's the shorthand that happens in the building. But then the students shorthand students as, oh, that's a kid who takes, or I'm a kid who takes AE classes and they label themselves by those course labels and that's where we've been trying to get away from that and it's a huge it's it's a huge the student labeling issue is a huge issue in our school because it 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 reinforces a level of tracking that I think is stronger than the system is set up our system as written is much more open but in a practical sense the way people talk and the way people view the levels it doesn't end up being on it doesn't become as flexible like if you're not taking an honors level course as a freshman you have very limited access to taking ap courses by the time you graduate right. uh, so like and but that's not because in the handbook you can't it's just that's what ends up happening right so, so like does the system benefit the students like are we designing schools to meet the needs of students or does it benefit the system itself or like like i like, I don't know. I just wonder, can the skill, the, all the skills, need all the kids in the school, no matter what school you're in, mm -hmm. kids need to grow, right? They need to develop skills that they can carry with them wherever they end up for the rest of their lives. So do you really get different skills in different classes or can we have create classes where all kids can develop skills and, and be at different levels within the same class? Or do we have to have separate classes for them to develop the skills mm -hmm. they need? That that's yeah. what I wonder. Yeah. And I will say that I I think that culturally within my building, if you were to ask, most most people are very heavily invested in the fact that this is the system that we have and this is the system that we've always had. And we do a lot of things that reinforce that system. Um, I will tell you there is a move 
away from this level of tracking. I can tell you that the English classes have gone unleveled for freshman year. And so there is no honors and there is no AE and no college prep. Like there's like they've gone away from that. And there is a move to have all students take the same entry level science course where right now some of our students take earth science and some take biology. And so like, there's a, there's like all kinds of different leveling that happens in freshman year in a lot of departments. And there's really been a moving sort of in vain of what you're talking about to reduce the separation and tracking of kids structurally so that perhaps we can maybe address sort of the, the, skill desire rather than tracking. Uh, but I would say our system is a vestige more than designed in a particular way. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, I think we alluded to it, but I think this is the, now the question. So how, how do you guys go about recommending courses for next years? And I, I, I really now, now that Ryan teased what he said earlier, I really want to know, like, how, how do you have a plan of how you're going to recommend for next year or what it's going to look like? Maybe you can talk about what it normally looks like. And do you think the pandemic is going to have any effect on this? It doesn't seem like the pandemic's changed a lot of things for your school, but, but Ryan, how are, how are things going to go when recommending courses for next year? So to address the pandemic, you're, you're right. We, we really have not changed much. Um, so in terms of recommending courses, it's, it's going to be the same as always. Um, as it pertains to what courses to recommend, you know, we alluded to it earlier. Um, really, it's, it's really up to me because I'm the only science teacher. So it's whatever I choose to teach. My, um, my principal is pretty supportive and he always says, as long as there are two students who want to take it, We'll, we'll offer it, especially if it's mm -hmm. honors level. And so, um, you, you know, this year the, the, the kids really wanted to take an AP chem class. So we decided to offer it, um, next year, uh, I think there's going to be a push to offer a physics <laughs> class. And so they're going to have to convince me one that we have two students who will take physics, but two that they are going to be, um, successful in a class like physics so i have to look at their uh, their math grades i have to look at their math courses i have to determine whether it's going to be worth the effort i'm going to have to put in since i've never taught physics to um to offering the class and so there's a lot of pressure put on me because it, it really just depends on how much how much stress I want to be <laughs> under if 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 I if I am okay with it then the 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 kids will be able to take whatever they want so an example this year I I had a group of students who wanted to take a zoology course um, but literally there was just no more time in the day I already teach a full day's worth of different preps so. There was literally no more time. But there's only one of me. There's no. There was no more time for them to to offer a zoology a zoology course. Um, so again, a lot of it is just marketing on the student standpoint. From from the student standpoint, who uh, they have to convince me that it's going to be you know worth their while. It's going to be worth my while, and they're they're going to take it seriously. It's obviously not going to be the way it is at most schools, but that's just the way we operate. Wow. It's, it's crazy. Well, I tell, I will tell you, I, I give you the advice of, uh, I got when I, my first teaching job, by the way, was uh, a physics teaching job, which, uh, I took two semesters of physics in college. Um, <laughs> but, right. but that was literally right. like my background. I mean, I am, a, I think everyone who knows me knows that I'm about as much a biologist and really limited everything else. I do have a minor in chemistry, but biology, chemistry in my wheelhouse, but I taught physics, but I actually loved, I, right. I really enjoy teaching physics because it's like, a lot of toys you can play do a lot of mechanics and a lot of stuff so absolutely physics absolutely. is a lot of fun to teach but um in fact i think physics is more fun to teach than chemistry um <laughs> but <laughs> yeah you know i i would agree but and the, the thing that we run into is i i also have to look at the next mm -hmm. year's students who i don't necessarily know so for example we offered ap chem this year but there is no one 
who would take AP Chem next year. So I had to offer it fully knowing that I wasn't going to offer it again. <laughs> I, I, and physics will be the same way. Um, if we offer physics next year, I, I know that we won't have any kids who will take physics the next year. That's so, so rough. Like you don't have time I, to adjust and like, you know, right. Oh no, I, I absolutely know <laughs> it is, it is crazy. Um, but that's, if, if I want my kids to have somewhat the same opportunities as a kid at a bigger school, it, it the burden's on me. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, I have kids who, who are future engineers, uh, mechanical engineers who are taking AP bio just because they, they simply have to, they, not because they actually want to. Yeah. How many kids end up in your AP bio class? Um, last year I had 15, um, and this year we didn't offer, we offer AP bio and anatomy and physiology in alternating years, just cause we don't have enough to offer them both in the same year. Wow. So I, I have nine in my anatomy and physiology class this year, which is dual credit. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's, it is a, it is a very, um, it is a very kind of crazy system in the sense that one of the ways you become a better teacher is, yes, you develop sort of broad teaching skills, but you also gain expertise within the curriculum and curriculum design. And um, I wonder how much you get to, to like, when you're reinventing curriculum or inventing curriculum um, on a regular basis, uh, that iterative process is is harder um, on, on the existing curriculum. Right. So, uh, yeah. 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 You know, I feel like my experiences are more so the way that things should be, not the way things are. Because I started off teaching all honors. I, I got this. I got the schedule that people want to have in the at the end of their careers. That's mm -hmm. what I started with, and it got me ready to teach a more variety of students. Who really, that's who you want your veteran teachers with. You, you don't want to pawn your your harder students off on your brand new teachers or the teachers who are burnt out. You want your best teachers with, with the hardest students. And that's just not the way education is. So I, I feel like my path has been more so that way as, as opposed to me taking it easier as my career has gone on. Yeah. Well, and I feel like for me, the, in my school, I, I think it kind of flips and the more experienced teachers are the ones who teach the classes that have potentially the more demanding parents. Um, <laughs> because there's not a lot of people in my building, even though we have, you know, seven or eight biology teachers who there's not, not a lot who want to teach AP biology or honors biology for that matter. In fact, we have a lot of very good teachers who do not want it because they, they, in part, they feel more comfortable with other levels of students because every group of students in our building has a very different feel and dynamic but there is a demand that is placed on you. And we've had multiple teachers who popped into honors bio taught it for a year and found that the parents emails and the, the, the training of the students who might not be ready, that was really just challenging. Um, and, and it was demanding in a different kind of way. It wasn't like helping learners learn. It was a lot about management of people. <laughs> uh, and, and, right, uh, right. yeah, I mean, I, I taught for years in our alternative program, which are kids who really struggle and I really hated giving it up, but I did because of sort of, sort of same as you, you can only be in so many places in a day. And for the last three years that I taught it, I really did feel completely stretched, um, trying to be there in someplace else. And there were, I, unlike you, there were other people in my building who could do it. Um, <laughs> so right yeah right all right Tanea, how about you you've also you've alluded to it a little bit so um you tell tell us a little bit more like um if i'm in your class right now and let let's pick one of your classes let's say uh you, you've got what are your current two classes uh, i'm currently teaching honors biology and then i'm also teaching ap biology and i think um most of my ap bio students a lot of them have requested to take AP Physics One. Mm -hmm. Some of them have requested. What's the What's the AP Physics? What is it? AP Physics C. Oh yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Uh, I, some I of them. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called, but I think that's right. 
So some of them have requested to take that class. Some of them have requested to take two classes. Um, some of them haven't had AP Chem yet. So there are some kids who want to take um, AP Chem along with another science class. Some uh, One kid was like, you know, what's the easiest class I could do? <laughs> he, he wants to get another science in. Uh, so I was like, you know, probably this one. And he's like, okay. He goes, that's what I need. And I'm like, okay. And then there's some kids who are like freshmen. So like I have a, I have a couple of freshmen in there, maybe a few, handful of freshmen. And those freshmen maybe haven't taken um, chemistry. So some of them don't want to take an AP chemistry. They want to take honors. So there are a few people who are going down from AP to something that they think is going to be more manageable for them. And then all my honors bio students are going on to take Mo- uh, most of them are taking honors chemistry, but some of them are going to take um, honors environmental science because maybe they're not in um, algebra two yet, or maybe they are concerned about, uh, they've heard stories about chemistry and they're scared. So they're <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not ready for that yet. And then a few of them come from like the basis school system where they've been kind of prepped to take AP classes. So I do have a handful of kids who will go on from honors biology to take like an AP class. Um, and I just tell the kids that like, I'm there to support them and help them with whatever they need to take whatever class that they want. And I don't know if, um, you know, I, I'll, I am, I'm honest with them and tell them that they need to reflect and be honest about what are their goals and not worry about what their friends are doing, but what their goals are for the year, like yeah. um, for their four years at school. Do they want to go to college? Do they, uh, do they love science? Do they love the you know physics? Do they love chemistry? What is it that they're that they're trying to accomplish? And then think about like are they prepared to be uh, put in the time for the particular course? Uh, and then I might tell a student, well, you know, you're probably gonna have to make some adjustments if you want to be successful next year. Mm-hmm. But I'll try to help them do that. Um, but I have been tasked with being a gatekeeper, <laughs> and. Um, I, I, I actually resent that role uh, quite a bit because um, when I was growing up, my sisters, my sister and myself, um, other people I know have had not so great experiences with people being gatekeepers. Um, and usually the, the gatekeepers were people who were not a person of color. Um, it's not always the case, but that's typically how it was for us. And then the students of color would have to fight to get into the, you know, like literally like we, I remember my sister said she, she walked into AP calculus and the teacher was like, you're, you know, you're going to fail this class basically to her face in front of everybody. And that's what she had to deal with. Um, So, uh, and then like, so anyways, my, me and my sister didn't take as many AP classes as we wanted because we didn't feel welcome. And, um, and then once we did get in the class, we didn't feel like we had the support that we needed. And it was just, just it was just always a little bit of a battle. Like if you were like the right person and came from like the right kind of money and mm-hmm. people, your parents were known, you know, cause maybe you had, your parents were like a judge or a lawyer or somebody in the community, maybe it was different, but we were the poor black kids um, who weren't supposed to be in those classes. And so it was just a little bit of a battle. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it definitely comes out in the data is is shown that there are gatekeepers that have prevented access, and that's just there. And I, I, I think that's the part that I'm most uncomfortable with with the tracking system in my school because I know I can't see. You asked the question earlier, and I can't see how that works from my perspective. Again, from my privilege, I don't, I don't see how the gatekeeping is creating inequity in the system, but I know that gatekeeping creates inequity in the system. It's, but it's not very visible to yeah, I don't me. Think it's cre- I don't think it's creating it. I think the gatekeeping, it, it, yeah, perpetuates every other inc- inequity that's already there. Mm-hmm. And like the, the um, there's a myth in America that it's easy to move from poverty to wealth when it's actually easier in a bunch of other countries, not so much in America. Like it's probably easier to do that in Canada or to do it in Norway or to do it, you know, somewhere else. 
And a lot, most people in America who are in poverty, they don't move out of poverty. And why? Well, because once you're in poverty, let's say you're struggling and you get to kindergarten and you're already behind, right? And then, you know, are your parents going to have time? You know, these homework that they send these kids home with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, who has time to help the kid with all these homework? And who's uh, reading books to their kids every night? Like, if you're out working two or three jobs and then, you know, you have to apply to get into some of these special programs once you're in like middle school or you have to have the right grades. Something. I mean, in my district, that's what they do with kids in math is Mm -hmm. that they, they, it's the worst kind of gatekeeping because if you don't make a certain score on this certain math test or this certain test in, in middle school, then you are prevented from taking any kind of upper level math later on. Right. Because what it, what it ends up doing is it prevents kids who might end up, you know, who prevents kids who could end up taking calculus by their senior year, AP calculus by their senior year from doing that. And at my school, you know, not being able to take AP calculus keeps you out of things like, you know, AP physics C Mm -hmm. and, you know, some of these really high powered STEM courses. And unfortunately, who it affects the most disproportionately are our students of color. And, and, you know, Tanea, you, everything that you just described, you know, the experience that you and your sisters have had, you know, or had growing up describes very perfectly a lot of the same experiences that my students of color have had, you know, because they couldn't take, you know, they couldn't take these upper level courses. And so it is not an uncommon thing for me to see students of color taking AP bio for the first time as a senior you know, are taking AP bio, you know, as a senior, as their first AP science course, you know, mm. and, and that's not right. It, it shouldn't be that way. You know, these are, these are students who are perfectly capable of taking upper level courses, but because the, the, the gatekeeping that goes on so early on in my school system happens when it does, it stifles them from being able to be challenged appropriately, you know, at, at an appropriate level early on. And, and, and intellectually challenged. They shouldn't be challenged from, you know, by, you know, take, having to score a certain, you know, score on this test to get you into these courses. I mean, I, I see it, you know, you know, I, I see the inequity, you know, I see it every day in my classroom. And, and perhaps, Aaron, you, you know, you were saying that you don't see it. Maybe it's because your school doesn't have the proportion of students of color, you know, say that yeah. my school you know, and maybe that's why you don't see it. Well, and is, yeah, the housing discrimination in the North yeah. is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the redlining, the redlining that happened for century, you know, for, for the much of the last century and, you know, for a large portion of, of the last century and um, the economic disparities created, you know, housing discrimination, which, you know, I, I teach in an affluent community and mm-hmm. the affluent community is, we, I do have a lot of, uh, students who are, you know, different degrees of melanin, but um, they co- and come from all over the world, but have a lot of economic advantage, you know, right. and they're right. not. I teach in an affluent system too, but we are seeing an increase in the number of students who are in poverty, mm-hmm. you know, and families that are in poverty. And so, you know, it's, I'm more, I'm more acutely aware, I guess, yeah. because see that increase in the number of students, for example, that I see who have free and reduced lunch. Like when I go into, um, we use total registration to facilitate AP exam registrations at my school. And when, and one of the the pieces of data that comes back to us from total registration is, you know, free and, you know, is the student tagged as free and reduced lunch, you know, eligible for free and reduced lunch. And the reason why that 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 particular system tags it is because they get a, a huge, you know, break in price on their AP exams. And so, you know, I see that number of students increasing more and more each year. And so, you know, even though we are in the most affluent county in the state, you know, we're an affluent school district, there are pockets of poverty that seem to be getting deeper and deeper and deeper every year. Yeah, the 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 I think a lot of people like the only AP I took was AP bio when I was in high school. My sister took like AP English and AP Spanish and AP calculus. She took more, but I just um I got to the point where I'm like this system is rigged against me. And my mother kind of was like 
you know, she didn't like the experiences my sister had. So I started taking classes at the community college, like very early on. Like, so my, um, I would go there because you could sign up for free. And then I was like, well, now I'm getting college credits. So who cares? Like they can't hold me back. So in the summers I would take classes at the community college and I found teachers that were just really open and accepting and really encouraging. And so that worked for me, but my parents, um, kind of figure the system out and um oh and by the way my my sister never graduated from high school my older sister the school wouldn't let her graduate what you know she got in the university she got in the uc berkeley she got in the uc santa cruz you know she got five on ap spanish she did you know she did, she was a great great kid but because we had like left and went to mexico for a little while um they wouldn't give us independent study they were like, you're short to, you know, you're short this credit and that credit. They wouldn't let her walk in graduation. They didn't let her graduate. And she was like, oh, well, who cares? I'm still going to go to college. Um, and they, she just had to take the California equivalency exam. And then to show the school that she was, she met the requirements, you know, high school requirements. And she didn't have a problem in college. Like she was a, um, she was an organic chemistry tutor in college, <laughs> but like, just to think that like, they didn't help her to graduate Wow. They didn't help her to, you know, take AP classes. Like it was, it was just always a battle. Like yeah. I said. All right. Well, Lee, how about you? I mean, you talked a little bit about the openness mm-hmm. on there. How? Yeah. Uh, so how does how do kids get recommended? You said they don't really. They start in December and they sort of pick what they want because it's open en- enrollment. You so you don't have any hand in this process. No. I really don't like I can advise kids and tell them, Hey, you know, I think that this would be a good move for you based on what you want to do with your life and, and all of this. But really and truly we don't have any direct, you know, impact, I guess, on what classes a kid takes because really that's determined by their graduation plan. Mm-hmm. And so, like every kid in the state of Texas has to take biology one. Doesn't matter what level you are. You take bio one because it is the graduation requirement. But how many science classes you take is determined by your um, graduation plan. And so like if you're a if you're on the recommended plan, you take four science classes. If you're distinguished, then you take four science classes, some of the, you know, and then of course you have to have X number of AP courses. If you are on what they call the foundation plan, you are only required to take three. And a lot of students are kind of steered away from the foundation plan. And the reason why is because if your student chooses the foundation plan, and it's not so much that the student chooses it, it's more that the parents and, and perhaps their case managers choose it because a lot of the students that end up on foundation plan are usually special ed students, mm-hmm. um, then they cannot, they are not eligible to go to a four-year university right away. They have to start at a community college and then transfer if that is part of their overall plan. Hmm. And so a lot of students, you know, and parents are like, yeah, we don't want to do that because for so many parents in our district, going to the four-year school right away is the thing that's that's prestigious. That's, it is unacceptable to go to a community college for any reason, but for a lot of parents. Um, And so they don't want their kid to have that perceived, you know, what they perceive to be just less than, you know, an education when in fact, you know, the community college in my town is actually one of the, one of the best ones. And so, you know, and has articulation agreements with all of the state universities and some of the private schools so that if kids take classes at the the community college, they'll transfer, you know, those classes will transfer and the kid won't lose any credit. And so, you know, it's really determined by that plan. And then kids and their parents kind of figure out within the plan, what science classes can I take or what classes that would count as a science class can I take? You know, so it's it's really not up to teachers so much. It's really up to the kid and their family, you know, and potentially any advising that comes from us or counselors, you know. And then, like I said, the pandemic hasn't really affected as far, you know, affected us as far as what sciences are available. In fact, um, you know, we're, our school is actually expanding its dual credit offerings, but that was going to happen beforehand anyway, um, you know, because now they're offering dual credit biology, you know, because my colleagues and I that teach biology or AP bio were kind of worried actually about, oh, what impact is this going to have on our numbers? Is it going to cause our enrollment to decline? spoiler alert it hasn't (laughs) you know we're gonna run pretty much the same number of sections next year as we're running now and so i'm a little um, surprised by that 
Yeah, it, it, it really hasn't had much of an impact on our numbers. Um, in fact, a lot of our numbers are shifting over to AP environmental, which is fine with us. You know, that's kind of what we want to happen. We want most of our sophomores who come in to take eights first so they can get their feet wet in an AP science course before they decide to jump in and take AP bio. You know, because we've worked with the APES teacher over at the STEAM Center because APES isn't on our campus, it's at our STEAM Center. And, you know, we've kind of come to this agreement. It's like, okay, we really want the kids to take your class first so they can kind of, you know, get used to the pace of an AP science course and, and all of this and then come and take our class once they've got the skills that they need to be successful in an AP science course. You know, and so we're hoping that that's kind of what we're seeing, you know, what the what the result of this this last round of enrollments is, because I know her number of sections has gone way up. And so those numbers that would normally be coming to us are going to her, which is totally fine. I mean, it just means that we're going to see a sinusoidal, you know, growth pattern in terms of enrollments. You know, I think next year we're due to have, I think, 250 kids, something like that. (laughs) you know, instead of 300. (laughs) So, but then the next year it will spike up again because of that. Yeah. So, so for, for me, I I have no idea what our numbers are going to be like um, (laughs) as we, as we move forward. And um, I guess that's sort of the unknown um, as we go forward in the next couple of years is that we've, we've got some things in the works for down the line that we're talking about um, in terms of potential changes. And I think the real thing that I know is that one of the things our school has talked about is if you don't start as a, if you don't start sort of at the honors level as a freshman, which means you take honors biology or honors earth science in our current system, um, it structurally students do not access our AP courses in science. Um, very, very few do. And that's something we're really looking to fix. And one of the possible solutions to that would be to have a single entry course, but also to talk a little bit more broadly about the the way our course recommendations go so for example for years you had there there were math requirements to take biology um, where you had to be in a certain level and the reason was is because it projected out for students to be able to take the honors chemistry and the honors physics there was no real good reason to limit students from taking honors biology based off of their math grade because right. there was no math, like the we do a lot more quantitative stuff now than we did back then. And so a few years ago, we said, let's just get that out of the program of studies. And similarly, we have taken out their their performance in math out of their chemistry requirements. We've removed that as well. And so what we're starting to do is we're looking at the what the data says. And as I said, it, it, on paper, when you look at what students should be able to take, we are more open enrollment still pretty tracked, but we are more open enrollment. Um, But we're not seeing the kind of movement between levels year in, year out. We're seeing where kids start is the level that they end at or they drop. Like they start at a level and nobody goes up. You start a level and you either stay the same or you go down. And on average, what we end up seeing is we see somewhere around like 30% to 40% drop off to a lower level by the time they get to their senior year. Um, and almost nobody goes up. Um, and so, so teachers are at this point right now going into our grading attendance program and we're making recommendations based off of that. We're putting them in. We're also, I do a survey so I can find out what kids want to take and I'm making recommendations to set them up for chemistry based solely on how they've done in my course this year and what they are interested in taking. So if a kid doesn't want to go on to honors chemistry, I won't recommend them for it. But if they've been doing well and seem to be managing the pandemic and getting everything in, I make that recommendation. Um, but we also have an, what's called an override process. If the, we don't, if the parents and the kid don't agree and they want to take honors chemistry and I don't make the recommendation, they can still override and take the upper level course. So I feel like we do a lot of work and I don't understand why we spend as much time doing what we do when if we just, the kids could just sign up for what they wanted. It seems like it would take us a lot less time. Like <laughs> I tell the totally kids Totally agree yeah. there. <laughs> I tell the That's kids I keep that. trying yeah. to figure out like, yeah. why are we like, is it really going to change it? That would be an interesting experiment. Would it yeah. really change your numbers and your staffing and everything if you did that well and it does because we have had and it happened it's happened every couple of years we miss and what will happen is you get a borderline number 
Uh, and like, it's like, oh, do we get away with how many honors level, how many of our accelerated average do we ha- offer? What do we do? And how, what, what's the drop going to be? And they try to do the math. And every time we're like close of like, oh, it should be five sections or six. And it's kind of on the line. Um, and let's say we only, we are for the lower number. That's the year that we'll have a bunch of kids like drop into that level. <laughs> <laughs> you know what of I mean? Course. Like that's, that's the year that like the, you know, we start with like 22 per class and you end up with like 27 or 28 per class. Like, and that's happened. I, I ended up at, once I taught the college prep, this is back many years ago where it was borderline. It was going to be like 24, 25 kids in those college prep classes, which was going to be really big. Um, and then over the summer there were like, 15 new kids who moved into districts who were all there. And then there were like seven or eight drops from the middle level down. So I ended up having like 32 kids per section, which was insane for that. That's like our lowest regular level kid is usually supposed to be our smallest group. Like had we had done four sections, they would have been four sort of reasonably sized sections, but because we only did three, it kind of got crazy that year. Um, And it was like, chaos (laughs) chaos <laughs> trying to you know communicate and go to all the IEP meetings and like you know uh, it was it was awful so there are consequences when you get it wrong um and at our size we can get away with it a little bit but we we've been burned and i think that's why people are hesitant to just let things be open and also not all teachers are open to have students you know struggle you know yeah so that i was going to say are there cuz i know that there's some practices where some teachers will be like the first three weeks is going to be really hard. Yeah. So like they know, they know that's going to make kids drop out the class, Yep. but we could redesign the class and make the first three weeks really like uh, manageable too. Yeah. You know, and then make it harder as the kids build the skills. Yeah. And I'm, I'm there with you. And I think a lot of my colleagues are, and I think a lot of the people who are like what you just said, um, either have retired or are retiring, but um, <laughs> because I can think of a, I would now retired, math teacher who I was very good friends with, but he used to say that like put as many kids as you want in my honors math class because um, I will have eight of them drop out after the first test or drop down after okay. the first test. Okay. And like they does it, like as far as he was concerned, that was part of the design. The design of course was that way. So all right. Well I think that we've nailed this. We've driven Ryan off by our tech issues and our um, <laughs> time course. But <laughs> Uh, if you have thoughts about course recommendations, about tracking, please share them with us. Uh, tweet at us or DM us at Life of the School. I would love to hear your thoughts. You can also subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash lots. If you go there, you can chip in a bunker or two a month. Uh, we helps offset some of our costs. Um, also, you'll get show notes there. You get show notes as well at lifeoftheschool.org. Music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians. And you can follow us on Twitter at Life of the School. So thanks all for joining us and we'll talk to you soon.